1: And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you've gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. It's always remarkable to me how direct and how blunt and even how severe Jesus can be in his rebuke of religious leaders who really ought to know better. Now, obviously, this encounter with the Pharisees had to do with the issue of tradition. Some Protestants overreact to what they perceive, and I think rightly, as the Catholic tendency to elevate tradition to the level of Scripture. But they overreacted to that by going too far into the ditch on the other side and saying that all traditions are bad and that real Bible-believing Christians don't have any traditions of all, at all. And, of course, that's nonsense. And that isn't what the passage is saying. Jesus isn't saying here that all traditions are bad. He is saying that any tradition that is contrary to the Word of God is bad. The Bible says, honor your parents. That's the fifth commandment. So if if you have a man-made tradition that helps you get around that commandment, which is what was going on here, that's a bad tradition. But that doesn't mean that all traditions are bad, right? The Apostle Paul, for example, says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 2, or sorry, verse 2, he says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. So, Paul can say to one church, way to go, way to keep those traditions, because those traditions, in fact, align with the word of God. So we have to be very careful how we read this. Jesus is saying that traditions have to be subject to the scrutiny of Scripture. If they align with the Bible and they're helpful, then by all means keep them. But if they lead people away from the Bible and are in contradiction to the Bible, then by all means get rid of them. Every human society has traditions. You can't get people together more than twice without some traditions beginning to emerge, right? That's just human nature. So the question isn't whether you have traditions or not. Go to any evangelical church, and if you go twice, you will immediately notice that they've got some traditions. Maybe it's the way they hand out bulletins. Maybe it's when they stand or when they sit. Maybe it's the sort of instruments they use. Maybe it's the order of service. By the way, evangelicals are incredibly traditional when it comes to the order of service. Even when they don't print a bullet and they do it the same way every week, humans necessarily, by instinct and by habit and by preference, develop traditions. The question is, are your traditions biblical? Are they helpful? Are they contrary to what is taught in Scripture? Those are the things that you want to be asking. All right, let's pick it up back up at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus, Mark puts this in brackets, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, And they defile a person. Now, this little story is important for about four different reasons. We can't get to them all. But first of all, it's important in terms of what it says about the relationship between sin and sinner. The Bible says that our actions flow out of our spiritual center. right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says, in a parallel teaching in Luke 6.45. Meaning, the sin that we do and say is a reflection of our sin nature. People are what they say and do. The Bible doesn't separate sin and sinner the way that we tend to do in our culture. The Bible says what you say and do reveals the truth about who you are. It tells the truth about your sinful lusts and desires. And and therefore, the heart is the real matter right? Jesus says, you can look at a fruit on a tree and and you can immediately make some assumptions about the root. The fruit is our actions. Fruit, those are our words. And they reveal the truth of our root situation. So Jesus is saying here that it isn't your food choices that will disrupt your relationship with God and with other people. It is your heart. Now, That takes us to one of the other reasons this passage is so important. In this passage, Jesus tells us something about how to read the Old Testament. Jesus was very clear again and again and again that he did not come to contradict the Old Testament. He said stuff like, Scripture cannot be broken, John 10 35. Notice how many times he says to people, You're wrong because you know not God or the Scriptures, as he said to the Sadducees, right? Jesus does not come to contradict the Scriptures. When Jesus makes a point, it's from the scriptures. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the message of Jesus is not, you should stop reading the Old Testament. The message of Jesus is that I have come to fulfill and to interpret and to apply the Old Testament. I'm the word of God in the flesh, Jesus says. I will tell you what this means, what it doesn't mean. I'll tell you how to read it, how to live it, and how to love it for all it's worth. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He is saying that the whole food law thing in the Old Testament was a parable. It was a teaching tool. It was meant to communicate something about sin and contamination and impurity and the difficulty of being a sinful people in relationship with a holy God. But it was never about the food. It it was about God condescending and teaching. And now that Jesus is here in the flesh... As the master teacher and interpreter of God's word, we're ready to move beyond that particular illustration into the very heart of the matter. And thus, as Mark tells us in those brackets, thus he declared all foods clean. This is the moment in the New Testament when the Old Testament food laws were fulfilled and abrogated. Okay, which means done, right? Like it's, it's not contradicted. It's, it's just we're ready to move on. I'll, I'll take it from here, Jesus says. Jesus has that kind of authority. He's already said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning if he wants to change now how the Sabbath is celebrated, he can do that. And if he wants to say now that all foods are clean, he can do that. He can put this teaching tool back in the bag. He is just that authoritative. Okay, That's what's going on here. Jesus says, lesson learned, Okay, parable explained now, food laws shelved, but the principle remains. It is still just as true that sin defiles us and separates us from a holy God. The principle is just as true as before. In fact, Jesus is taking us deeper into that truth than we've ever gone before. He is giving us light, whereas before we had only shadow, shape, and form. All right, let me try and give this to you in a a short little illustration. Think of it this way. The Old Testament contains all the same big truths as the New Testament, but they are hidden mostly in darkness and shadow. The Old Testament is like a big, deep cave containing many precious and important treasures. But the cave is lit by a single candle, and so we can't see perfectly everything that is there. But Jesus is the light. And now because of him, we see everything perfectly. That's why after we get the gospel, we go back and read the Old Testament again. We read it through the light of Jesus and we see things that we never saw before. You should read the Old Testament before you read the gospels. And then after you read the gospels and after you get Jesus, you go back and read them again with more light. So when we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we are not moving from wrong to right. We are moving from shadow to substance, okay? Jesus is the master teacher who makes everything crystal clear. Thanks be to God. All right, let's jump back into the text of verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home, and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, we, we have to remember that Jesus began his gospel mission with the original covenant community, with the Jewish people. They had the first right of refusal. At the end of the gospels, of course, he sends his disciples out far and wide with the message of the kingdom. But at the start, he's focused on the Jews. So his initial refusal to deal with this woman is a matter of timing not an expression of interest but of course what is really neat is that in this story we see jesus overflowing the banks and spilling his mercy out on the path this is just a a beautiful reminder that god is never constrained he has a plan but he also has pity on his people Lastly, let's take a look at verse 31 there. It says Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure saying, he's done all things well. He even makes the deaf deaf hear and the mute speak. I think I've mentioned already that miracles are like parables. They contain a message for any with eyes to see. That's why John in his gospel calls them signs. Jesus is communicating so what is he saying I I think by now you've probably figured this one out Jesus is saying that part of his ministry is digging ears for people who are deaf to God's word have you noticed how often Jesus will conclude a time of teaching by saying now let he who has ears to hear let him hear that kind of thing is all over the new testament and sooner or later you're supposed to notice what Jesus is saying there he is saying that only people who already have ears can hear and appreciate this teaching, right? People don't listen their way to open ears. They need their ears opened first in order to hear and appreciate what God is saying. So eventually you got to ask the question, how does that happen? And in this little miracle, we get the answer. You need a touch from Jesus. You need to recognize that your sin and your pride and your rebellion have closed your ears to God. And you need Jesus to dig out your ears. You need to be healed before you can hear, believe, and be saved. So this miracle is an invitation for you to pray, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief right? Heal my hard heart. Open my blind eyes. Dig out my closed ears so that I can hear and I can see and I can believe the implanted and saving word. Thanks be to God.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word.